Good evening. We are finally coming to the end of Amir al Akum. I know it's taking us a long time. There's been a lot of breaks in the middle. But uh, hopefully tonight we shall wrap up the halachas of Amir al Akum and then be able to move on. The end of Amir al Akum really brings us to the end of the preparation for Shabbos. The, um, it's, I'll try, I'll try, I can't promise. <laughs> the end of Amir Lakum brings us to the end of our preparation for Shabbos. <laughs> the end of preparation for Shabbos, and then Be'ez Hashem, when we reconvene, we'll start the uh, halachas of Shabbos itself. We start off with Hilchus Kiddush, and then moves on to the halachas of the meal, which really brings us to Hilchus Kishel. So let's finish off today the halachas of Amir Lakum, and then. We can move on. Up until now, we've discussed the two areas of Issa, two areas where which which, prohib- which are prohibited with Amir Akum. That's the area of actually telling a non-Jew to do a malacha for you. The telling itself is also. We've discussed the area that the malacha itself is also for you to have any benefit from. And there's a third area which we mentioned right at the beginning for those who can remember. Is that there's an, uh, there's another Issa in Amir Akum called. Maris Ayin. There are certain areas of Amir Akum where there is no prohibition in speaking to the non-Jew. There is no malacha that is offered for you to benefit from. But there is an Issa. There is a prohibition of Maris Ayin. And that's the area which brings us into a slightly more complicated part of Amir Akum. That's the part which in modern terms is called contract, contractors. To ask a contractor to do a malacha for you when you don't specifically ask him to do it on Shabbos, that's a completely new area of Amir Lakum, and that's what we're going to sp- spend the evening on tonight, and we'll work through the heterim of a contractor, and how, um, how Maris Iron affects that. Now, the difference between what we've been, we've been discussing till now, and, and the uh, contractor is as follows. Till now, we've been discussing something that's called a Shechei You have a non-Jew who you pay by the hour. You pay by the day, you pay by the hour. A maid, uh, somebody comes to help you in the house, you pay them by the hour, so they are, everything they do in that time that you're paying, you're paying them is considered doing for you. So a malacha that a a day worker, somebody who's paid by the hour, does, is automatically considered doing for you. A, contract, a contractor, on the other hand, is somebody, is just the opposite. If you give something to, to uh, a malacha to a non-Jew to do, but you don't pay the non-Jew by the hour, you pay him for the work, and he can do that work whenever he wants, Right? Within reason, of course. But you can do that work whenever you want. So, again, when this non-Jew does the work, he's not really doing it for you. It's considered doing it for himself. So, you, you already see there's a fundamental difference between a skiyayim, a day worker, and a contractor. Most work that goes on nowadays, and we'll go through some examples, is really contractual work, is not a skiyayim. So, let's run through a little bit the differences between a skiyayim, a day worker, and a kotit, and a kablan, which is a contractor. So, if you gave, asked the laundry to do work for you, didn't ask him to do it on Shabbos, you asked him to do work for you which was contracted out as a contract, not as a day, not, not paying by time, but paying by the contract, you asked the laundry to do work for you and he did it for you on Shabbos, that's absolutely fine, you can benefit from that work, there's nothing wrong, he's done nothing wrong, and you've done nothing wrong, because there's been no Amira here which is asked, you've not actually told the laundry to do it on Shabbos, and the non-Jew, because he's, he's a contractor, has done it for himself. He hasn't done it for you. So a non-Jew who does the malacha for you, it's for himself. Again, that malacha is not considered done for you, so it's completely completely Muslim. However, this is where Maris Iron begins to kick in. The first halacha of a contractor is that he's, he's allowed to do work for you, but not allowed to do it in your, own, in your own home. Yes, you can ask a non-Jew to do work for you and contract with, uh, under contract, but if he's going to come in and start doing your garden for you in your own, in your own house, which every gardener is a contractor, right? We don't pay him for time, we pay him for garden. So a gardener is considered a, uh, under contract, not a CEO. So theoretically, you should be allowed to say to an Andrew on Thursday, you know, my garden needs doing. And he can come in Shabbos morning when you're in, in shul and start, start doing your garden. In reality, that should be mutter. So here the third part of Amir Lakim comes to play, and that is the Allah of Maris Ayn. If we allow a non-Jew to do work, in your house, on Shabbos, somebody passing by would have a look and see, and she, they would say, hey, there's a, a gardener in your garden. Must be that so-and-so has asked the gardener to come and do work for him on Shabbos. So there's a marriage sign, there's an appearance here as if you have 
ask the laundry to do work for you on Shabbos and to get around that marriage to make sure that nobody can even have that thought that mistaken thought about you Chazal banned even a contractor from doing work for you in your own home however outside of your house outside of your house you can ask the contractor to do work for you and he does that work on Shabbos and you even know he's doing that work on Shabbos he's your next door neighbor and you see him working on your stuff that you ask him to do in his own home you have no chiyas to tell him to stop he can continue without any problem so a contractor, a contractor, a kablan anything under contract is completely mutter as long as it's not done within your own home right whereas if your next door neighbor was employed you were paying him by the hour and you saw him doing work for you, you would be, you would be mechrib to knock on his door and say to him, excuse me, I'm afraid I'd have to ask you to stop working on Shabbos because you can't do work for me on Shabbos. So there is the basic difference between a contract and a shriyam. However, to go up to, to say to Nandra just before Shabbos, let's use the example which, which is quite simple, taking clothes to a dry cleaner. Now, a dry cleaner in today's day and age is considered a, a contractor. It's, you, you pay per job, you're not paying for his time. If you pay for his time, you'll probably get away very cheaply. You're paying for his job. The amount of time it takes him to do it is very minimal. What you pay for is the job. Now, he can do that job whenever he wants. You, you hand in the, the dress or the suit, you hand in to the dry cleaner. He cleans it whenever he has the time, and you go and pick it up. So you are now paying for the contract. You are not paying for his time. So if you handed in the, the suit just before Shabbos, an hour before Shabbos, and he picked it up an hour after Shabbos, and assuming that an hour is enough time to get the suit in and out of the machine and press, then you are fully allowed to do that. You can, you can t- hand in the, the suit just before Shabbos, pick it up after Shabbos, and you have done nothing wrong, even though you know that the, in actual fact he's going to wash that on Shabbos. That doesn't matter because he's under contract and it's considered he's doing the malachah for himself. If, however, you turned up two minutes before Shabbos with the suit, and you said, here, take this suit, I'm traveling not to Shabbos, and we discussed this earlier on, and I need the suit just straight after Shabbos, you know, I'm going to come five minutes after Abdullah, I'm going to be there, that's completely awesome, not because he's doing the malachah for you, because again, anybody who's under contract, he's doing the malachah for himself, but there, by taking it just before Shabbos, and saying, I'm going to pick it up straight after Shabbos, it's the equivalent of saying to him, straight to his face, can you please wash it for me on Shabbos, and that then means you have transgressed the problem not of Malacha, of Amir. You have told him explicitly, please do a Malacha from your Shabbos. So even a Koptah, though the Malacha itself is considered done for himself, but if you tell him to do it on Shabbos, you have transgressed the Issa of Amir, the Amir part of Amir Lakum. So taking in clothes to a non-Jew to clean would be fine, as long as you give him the opportunity, the time, that he can do it in his own time. Pick it up an hour after Shabbos, two hours after Shabbos, take it in a little bit before Shabbos, and even though you know he's doing that Shabbos, that's 100% fine, because he is under contract. There is, however, a couple of clauses to this chapter. And one of the most difficult ones is, this is what, which causes, causes trouble, immense trouble, as we see later on, and that is that even though Koptat, somebody who's under contract, is allowed to do a malakha for you, as long as it's not in your shoes, and as long as you give him time to do it before Shabbos, if, however, the malachah that he's doing is something that we, that we call mefusim, it's well known that this is, this is a malachah for a Jew, and according to some poskim, it has to be for a specific Jew, but it's well known that this malachah is being done for a Jew, then, if you see that malachah being done on Shabbos, you have to tell him to stop. Because everybody walking by can see the non-Jew doing malachah for you, for, the, for this, whoever this Jew is, and therefore we have, again, we have the, the problem of marathon. So just as a gardener coming into your garden, you have to ask him to stop, even though he's on the contract. And there's no Amir here, and there's no Malacha here. It's just Marathayim. So too, if you would take clothes to a dry cleaner, and there was some sort of clothes that only Jews wear, no, no, no non-Jews do wear those clothes. It was clothes which were quite clear belonged to a Jew, or you had your name emblazed on the front, and he washed it in, in, full, in full view of the public. You had nice big glass front windows, and he washed it in full view of the public. And you walked by, and you noticed him washing your Shabbos, you would be obligated to go in and tell him, I'm sorry, but because it's, a, it's something which is quite clear to everybody that you're doing it for me, please don't do it on Shabbos. So there's the first clause in the, in the well, the second clause, let's say, in the header of Kostat, of a Kaplan, of a contractor. He can't work for you in your own Rishos, because there's Marathine, and he can't work for you even in the non-Jews Rishos, if the work he's doing is something which is not awesome. 
even if he's got enough time, because when he, when he actually does the work on Shabbos, everybody can see that he's working for you. Now, however, there is one way out of this, just let me get, make sure that people don't get too worried about it. There is one way out of this, and that is, if everybody in town knows that this type of work is done under contract, then again, we don't have Marasayim. We don't have anybody who's going to think that you've asked him a Shabbos to do work for you. So, nowadays, where dry cleaning is definitely, there is no dry cleaning which is not done under contract. All dry cleaning is, is contractual work with respect to our locker. So, you could take in something which is quite clear that it's yours, and he could wash it in public, and everybody can see him washing it, but nobody's going to go by and think, oh, so-and-so has asked him to do this on Shabbos, because everybody knows that dry cleaning work is done under contract. So that gets around the problem of the enforcement of, of something which is known to belong to a Jew. So I'll give you an example. Let's, let's say we are uh, a non-Jew. We need a new, new or an Akkadish. Right? Now, a carpenter can sometimes work by the hour, sometimes works like under contract, by the job. So we have a gentleman who lives around the corner, and we need a new or an Akkadish, and we, we ask him to build us an Aron And you walk by Shabbos morning to, to Shul, and you see him building the Aron You see the, the Mog and David, and you see he's got the GGBA written on it, so it's quite clear who the, who the Aron belongs to. Then, you would enter into problems. Because everybody walking by can see that the Malach is being done for a specific person, for a Yid. No non-Jew wants an Anakadish, not yet. It's quite clear it's done for a Jew, and therefore you'd have to ask him to stop. In practical terms, there's very little nowadays that actually falls into that category, because almost everything is clear to everybody that it's contractual work. You can go into Tel Shabbos, yes. You would be, if, you were, if you had to go into Tel you would be allowed to go in and tell him. We're going to come to, to, to no, to go into a shop is fine. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that a little bit later, uh, a, a, a little bit, just give us another few minutes and we'll come a bit, we'll come to that again. So, here we have, that, that's the basic rule of contractual work with respect to a scheyon, to, to a day, somebody's employed by the, by the day, by the by time, by the hour. Contractual work is really mutter. And any area that contractual work is considered Asa is only Asa because of this new concept called Marasayim. Sheyayim, when it's Asa, a day worker, when it's Asa, it's Asa because the Malacha is Asa, because it's, it's proper Amrila Akam. So, Kata, Tabla, contractual work is really, in effect, not under the banner of Amrila Akam. It is only there with respect to the Malacha of Marasayim. Sheyayim is Asa because the day worker is working for you, and that's considered Malacha done for you. Now, here comes a very big machlekes. If you took your suit into the dry cleaner, and you fancied wearing it on Shabbos, you took it on a Friday, and you know that he's done it, he works late Friday night, and this, uh, this gentleman has definitely cleaned it, on Shabbos morning, you fancy wearing that suit. Are you allowed to wear that suit once it's been washed for you on Shabbos? It's been washed by heifer, it's done completely without any ether, it's been washed, under contract, you never said he should do it on Shabbos, you gave him time to do it before Shabbos, so it's under contract, the Malachas Mutter, the Amir's Mutter, it's quite known, well known in town that, that uh, every dry cleaner washes under contract, so there's no maritime here, are you allowed to then, on Shabbos, go and wear that suit? And that's a very, very big machlekes. So the problem would arise if you have a dry cleaner who delivers. Okay. The problem would arise if you have a dry cleaner who delivers. We'll come back to delivery is another problem. Uh, it has, has its own problem in Maritime. We'll discuss that a bit later on this evening. But let's talk about a, a, a non-Jew dry cleaner who just dropped it through your letterbox. How he, should, how he got this through, I don't know. But he somehow dropped it through your letterbox. And you have your suit lying, neatly pressed on the mat in front of your, uh, at your front door. Can you wear it on Shabbos? Now that's a very, very big machlekes in the Toskim. Now, the Machabe says you can, but the Ramal says you can't. And even though it's done completely better, the Ramal says you can't. However, if you have no other suit, and you have to go to Shevrokas that morning, and all, all the other suits are, are dirty, and the only suit you have is that one, then even the Ramal agrees that you're allowed to wear it in Shabbos. So here you have a, a, a case, let's take another example, uh, you took your shoes in to be rehealed, um, and uh, there were only shoes that matched the suit that you particularly needed to wear that day, and again, he's gotten through your letterbox, you had a big letterbox or a small heel, and, and you wanted to wear them, if you needed them for Shabbos, you'd be allowed to wear them for Shabbos. If you didn't need them for Shabbos, you just fancied wearing them, but you had other shoes to wear, 
Dat is een te worden aan mijn Shabbos. Or, another way that you would be motivated to, to, to use on a Shabbos would be if the malacha that the non-Jew did wasn't a malacha director. It wasn't washing, it wasn't a, a rehealing, it was a malacha that was a malacha drabonon. A malacha drabonon, then, if the non-Jew did that malacha drabonon for a Jew, another person, another lady, or another man, whoever it may be, would be allowed to benefit from that malacha. Even the remote says that you mustn't directly benefit from that, However, since it was done beheta here, and it wasn't a malacha deraisa, a second Jew can benefit from that. Whereas, in a skeyayim, in a day worker who does a malacha for you, which is osa, which is under the ban of Amir Lakum, if he did it specifically for a Jew, then no Jew can benefit from that. We've learned that many times, no Jew can benefit from that. Here, however, because it's not really osa, the malacha's mutter, it's just, again, a marif iron. You're not allowed to wear something that was done on work on Shabbos. However, the second Jew can can benefit from it. Or if you have a suffolk, you have a doubt whether he actually washed it or fixed the heel on Shabbos. Say you brought it in an hour before Shabbos and it, there was a good chance he didn't have very much in front of him. There was very little stuff there to do and there was a very good chance that he did do it before Shabbos. You don't actually know that he washed it on Shabbos. And again, it's a suffolk and you're allowed to benefit from it. You paid him in advance. It makes no difference. Because everybody knows that it's a, it's a, it's a contract work. It's work on the contract, isn't it? it? We'll come back to maritime when there's no, no, no Jews in town. But, uh, to, be the, to be the only Jew in town without a family, maritime is even for family, even for your... A contract means... That, no, a contract means that you're not paying for the time, you're paying for the work. He can, he can do it whenever he likes. He can do it before Shabbos, he can do it on Shabbos, he can do it after Shabbos, He's got between Friday and Tuesday to do the work. So you're not paying him for the time, you're paying him for the work. That's what we call in, in, in halakhic terms, contractual work. The, the final case where it would be mutter would be if you took your shoes in to be rehealed, but the shoes could have been worn without the new heels put on. Just they, you fancied new heels on them, they were, they were wearing down already, so they could directly have been worn without it. But then the work that the non-Jew did didn't actually finish the shoe, it just made it slightly more comfortable or slightly better, it didn't actually finish the, the shoe the shoe was finished before the work of the non-Jew and again, there's another clause which will allow you to wear those shoes if you could get hold of those shoes on Shabbos now, can one go into a shop, into the dry cleaner and pick up your suit on Shabbos, if there's an Arab would mean to carry it out if there's no Arab, then you'd actually get changed in, in, the, uh, in the dry cleaner whatever the story may be, would one be allowed to walk into the shop to where to, to pick up your suit on Shabbos. Now, don't forget, this non-Jew has done nothing wrong. You've not told him to do the malacha on Shabbos. He's done the malacha completely beheta, totally permitted what he did. Not, there's no malacha here. There's no maritime because we're talking about a case where you need to wear the, 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 that, this suit on Shabbos. You're desperate for it. And uh, you, therefore, you're allowed to wear it on Shabbos. Am I allowed to be? He doesn't deliver. Am I allowed to go and knock on the door and ask him, please come and have my suit and go and take the suit? Now, again, that's a very big machlaikas. And the consensus of opinion in the is that there's a new issue here called Ubdur the Choyl. Going into a shop to pick up your suit is called weekday work. It's not Shabbos work. And therefore would constitute uh, 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 an issue of Ubdur the Choyl. And therefore you couldn't enter into the shop to pick up your suit. And that's why I discussed up until this point if the suit was posted through your letterbox. Deliveries is a problem. We will discuss deliveries in, in a few minutes. Now, we've mentioned up until now that one of the clauses, one of the areas of Maris Ayin is Mephosim. Work which is Mephosim is considered Maris Ayin. Unless everybody knows that that type of work is done under contract. There's another area of work which is considered always Mephosim. Always, however nondescript the work is and however distant it is and nobody seems to know what's going on, that work is always considered Mephosim and that's called work done on something which is on the ground. Work on the ground is considered always Mephosim because a house, a ground, a field is always considered, the owner's name is always known. Everybody knows who owns what, right? We all know who owns what property. That, that block of flats belongs to so-and-so. That house belongs to so-and-so. That house is being done up by, by Mr. Mr. Mrs. So-and-so. So we all know when it comes to ground and houses what, what, which land and house belongs to who. So it's impossible to say that this work is not called Mephosim. Everybody knows this work on that, that, that lot of land over there is being done for so-and-so. So therefore, Chazal says, any malacha which is done on karka is called mafosim. So even though you, the work being done on the house is contractual work, 
You have your electrician coming to rewire your house, con- uh, or your, the, your second house, not the house you're living in. You have an electrician rewiring your second house, and you're not living there. It's really contractual work. You've asked him to do it whenever he has time. He happens to have time on the Shabbos morning. Theoretically, there should be nothing wrong with him coming in to do it, since the Malach is done on something which is called Karka, it's on a house or on ground, it's considered a person, and therefore it's also, completely also, to allow that contractor to go into the house and do that work. All malacha done on the ground, on a field, on a house, is considered malacha, malacha a public malacha. It's considered done publicly, and therefore you must not allow the, the, the non-Jews to do that malacha. We'll, we'll come, we'll discuss the, 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 uh, the, the different areas and when Marisayan applies. Again, the reason why it's also is because of Marisayan. There's no Issa of Amir, there's no Issa of Malacha, because he hasn't told them to do the Malacha Shabbos. It's a contractual work, so there's no Issa of Malacha. The Malacha, the problem is, everybody knows that this non-Jew is working for you in your Shushus. Now here, it's a little bit more stringent. What would happen if it's a work? Let's just pick a, a, an electrician again. Work which is always done under contract. Up until now we've said, work which is always done under contract is mutter. So even though you have your dress with your name blazed on the front, written on the front, and the dry cleaner is washing it in, in, in full view of everybody, it's mutter because everybody knows dry cleaning is contractual work. What would happen here? We all know an electrician's contractual work. Everybody knows it's done under contract, so why can't I allow the electrician to do that monopoly shoulders? And even more so, the whole reason why you can't allow a gardener or an electrician to work in your own home is also only my sign. So if everybody knows, and let's talk about gardener, everybody knows a gardener is under contract. Well, almost everybody. Most gardeners charge a fortune and come uh, as often as they can. Th- that's what a gardener is. He's done under contract. Everybody knows a gardener's under contract. So why can't I allow a gardener to come and do my gardener shabbos? Or why can't I allow an electrician to come in and do my, fix my electricity on shabbos? I haven't asked him to do it on shabbos. I ask him to do it whenever he wants. There's no one lock on for me on shabbos because he's doing it for himself because he's under contract. What? Why is that Marisayan over here? Now here's a very big Machlegas in, in the Poskim. This Machlegas stretches right the way up to, to modern day Poskim. Do we say that something which is done on, work on Machopolakaka, work on ground, work on a house, work on a field, which is known to be under contract, does it carry with it the same heifer, the same leniency that work on the Kali has? And if everybody knows that it's done under contract, it, it's therefore mutter, or do we say work on the ground is even worse? The marriage eye of, of, of working on the ground is much greater, and that even if everybody knows that it's done under contract, it's still also. La halacha, la chabchila, the Mishnah Buru, is machme. Any work done in the house, he says, you should be machme. You cannot allow a non-Jew to do any work, even contractual work. Even work that everybody knows is done under contract, on your house. Work in the field, which is slightly, slightly more removed, there he's a little bit more makele, and he says, when necessary, you can be makele and rely on those who hold if everybody knows it's done under contract, it is not there. So, work on the house, there is no, really very little room to maneuver, very little room to allow any contractor work done in your own resource, or on your own resource, even if you're not living there, on, on, on a house, which is yours, because that's considered a foursome, and the marriage iron there is too strong to allow even known contractual work to be done on the house. If the house is outside of the tchum, now, outside the Tchum means outside of the Tchum, and there is no city within the Tchum of the house, so no one could actually come on Shabbos and walk by. No Jew could ever get there and walk by and see that work being done on Shabbos. If that's the case, then there's no Marasai. And then you can allow a non-Jew to work on that house on Shabbos as long as the work's done under contract and you have not mentioned to them, you've not, you've not told them explicitly to do that work on Shabbos. But the, the guidelines are not in an area where we don't live, it's got to be in an area where we cannot get to. An area where no Jew can reach, then there's no problem with my sign. So, yes, if it's ten streets away and nobody knows it belongs to you, everybody knows it belongs to you. You are not allowed to do any work on that on Shabbos. If it's outside of the tomb, then even if everybody knows it belongs to you, but nobody can actually see that work being done on Shabbos, that's fine. What's considered work on the ground is not just work done on a house or on or on or on the ground. For instance, to remove the fertilizer from a field, even though you're not actually working directly on the ground, you're just removing something on top of the field, that's still considered groundwork, and that goes under the banner of work on the ground, which is also even under contract because 
considered malachim for summit, it's considered everybody knows that, that malachim is being done for you. And it goes even further. If you have um, a, a stonemason who's working on a stone, designing, crafting a stone, I don't know, carving out a nice design for the front top of your front door, on the stone, which is going to be put into your house, that's also considered work done for the ground. However, if that stone doesn't have to, is not quite yours, that means the, 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 the non-Jew who's working on the stone could, if he wanted it to, he could give it to somebody else before he gave it to you and then start an, another stone for you, then that's not considered your stone and it's completely mutter. If, however, it's your stone, it's quite clear that the work on this stone is only going to be your stone and he's working for you, even though it's a contract and even though you've not asked him to do it for Shabbos and it's quite clear that it's mutter, the Malachah's mutter and the Amir's mutter, but since that stone is going to be positioned in a house which is considered ground, therefore that Malachah is again also to allow that non-Jew to do it in Shabbos. If you see him doing it, you have to ask him to stop. Now here comes an area where the pillars of Marasain come into, into being. What would happen if you asked a non-Jew explicitly to do work for you, and at the time of asking to do work, an electrician, let's talk about an electrician, you ask an electrician to come and do some rewiring in your house, and you said to him, please note, you can come six days a week, any time of the day or night, you can come and do the work, however you cannot come and work for me on Shabbos. You cannot come and work for me on Shabbos. And he decides, understandably, he knocks on the door, Shabbos morning. What are you afraid to do? So, you're quite right, you have to tell him to go away. Now, if he turns around to you and says, if, you, if I go away, it's going to cost you double. You're not going to be so quick to tell him to go away. What do you do? Now, here, since you explicitly told him not to come on Shabbos, and he insists on doing it on Shabbos, and if you, do, you don't allow him to do it on Shabbos, it's going to cost you more money, then here Chazal wavered the Issa of Marathon. And he said, since you, you did everything that you could do to prevent him from working on Shabbos, you're not much to incur an extra loss and you're allowed to allow him to continue that work on Shabbos. So theoretically, you could find a case of an electrician working in a Jewish home on Shabbos, totally beheader, in a case where it was done under contract, and you told him, clearly, do not come on Shabbos, and he broke his word, and he came and did work on Shabbos, you were, and you couldn't tell him to go away because you would charge you more, then that would be completely murder. If, however, you had, did not tell him explicitly not to come on Shabbos, you said, please come whenever you have time and do the work for me, and he then turned up on Shabbos, and you said, please, please, you know, you understand, Shabbos, you can't have work in the house, etc. And he said, I'm sorry, but, you know, I started today, if you want me to do it another day, you'd have to pay for the extra day and the extra work, etc. It's going to cost you double. You would then be refused to pay that double, pay that extra money, and not allow him to work in your home, because you did not tell him explicitly beforehand not to come on Shabbos. So then, the same electrician, you would have to pay him the double, and ask him to come back on Sunday, not allow him into the house. Theoretically, it's not your, it's not your case. He's not working with your, with your, um, he's not, he's not your utensil. So, the issue of a noisy utensil is only if it's yours. If a noisy comes in and, and makes a noise, that's his problem. The, 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 there is a maritime here, but Chazal wavered the maritime to save you the extra cost it's going to cost you because you did absolutely everything right. The, if it goes so far, maritime, that the, possibly discuss what would happen if you allow the non to build your house on Shabbos, would you be allowed to live in the house on Shabbos? Well, not on Shabbos, you're not living at all. They, they built, the, the, you contracted the work out, and they actually built the house for you, and they built it even on Shabbos, would you be allowed to live in the house on Shabbos? And that's a very big machlekes in the Poskin. The Mishnah is Mekel if it came to it, but there are many Poskins who say they have to live in the house. So we see that the seriousness of Marathon is such that it can even take effect and, and ban you from living in that house for good. There's a very famous story, actually, of Rebbe Vega, in the time of Rebbe Vega, when they, the palace of the town built a house. He was a very influential person, and he was building himself a mansion. In those days, the palace was somebody who was a wealthy man. He worked, worked by clout, by money. And he, he was building himself a mansion, and he refused to ask the non-Jews to stop and shut because it would cost him more money. And Rebbe told him, don't worry. Just, you know... We'll sort it out, and he moved into this beautiful mansion much earlier than anybody else was building the house at the same time. And the story goes that after a few days, the whole house collapsed. The, the beams were completely eaten through by woodworm, and the whole house collapsed on top of them. 
they mentioned it out in time, but the, the house collapsed because the Kibegi said it was offered for those workers to work on Shabbos, therefore the house couldn't be lived in, and the house collapsed. That is the seriousness of the Issa of Marasayim. That's all we're talking about here is an Issa of Marasayim. Marasayim is a serious Issa to the extent that it could be, according to some possible officer, to live in the house. To so move on to uh, uh, another area of contractual work, and this is something which the Shulchan Aruch discusses at length, but is very little applicable, very little, applies very little, very, very small, you know, there's hardly any application of it in today's day and age, and that's sending letters. Is sending letters under the banner of Amrila Akhamanov? Now, in Khazal's times, where a letter was sent by a specific non-Jew to a specific person, there wasn't a public postman, you would then send this letter written with Hebrew writing on the front to your friend in, in some town, some village, some distance away. That non-Jew would travel there and go searching for this Jew and actually find him and give him the letter. Since that was the way post, post was, was done in those days, Khazal was worried if you allowed the non-Jew to believe with a letter which was going to arrive on Shabbos or could arrive on Shabbos and he would be standing in the middle of the street looking for this gentleman with the letter with the Hebrew writing on and all the passers by will see that there's a letter here sent by Mr. So-and-so and they can see it's a Hebrew writing and they can see his name written in Hebrew on the back etc. Looks like uh, there's an, an area of Kittle Shabbos here. It looks like that, that Jew sent the non-Jew to deliver it on Shabbos. So Chazal said it's also to send letters to another Jew even on a Friday, according to some past commission, even on a Thursday, etc., it will be offered to send because we are worried that it, it will, might, in the other end, appear that you have sent it explicitly to arrive on Shabbos. However, nowadays, that doesn't apply because it's quite clear in the, in the Shulchan Aruch that if you have a public post office where all the letters get sent to the public post office, if the postman can't find you, he will take you straight back to the post office. There's none of that worry doesn't apply. Therefore, sending letters nowadays does not come under any issue of Amir al-Akum. You can post the letters in the letterbox on Friday, and even though you know it's going to arrive in Shabbos, that work is contractual work. You have not told anybody explicitly to do it for you. It's contractual work. Nobody knows that that work has been done for you explicitly. It's practically it's 100% work. The only time that sending a letter could enter into problems and could come under the banner of Amir al-Akum is if you went into a post office and asked for an overnight express on a Friday. To go in and say, please can I have an overnight express, I want to send my shoes to my next to my, to my sister who lives in Manchester, and I wanted to get her tomorrow morning, Shabbos morning, she has a kiddish, and she needs those shoes. That would be the chayyah totally utter, because you have explicitly said, can you send it for me, and do the mlach on Shabbos. So even though you haven't told directly the, the postman to do it, but you have directly the non-Jew, who's going to direct the next non-Jew, who's going to direct the next non-Jew, until eventually those shoes arrive at its destination on Shabbos, so therefore it comes under the banner of Amir Lachim. That is the only area of sending posts, sending letters, which is problematic when with, uh, with, 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 with regard to Amir Lachum. The issue of Marathon goes a stage further. If we have a halakha on Yom Tov that you're not allowed to invite a non-Jew to your house because we are worried that you might end up cooking extra for the non-Jew on Yom Tov. So, for instance, Yom Tov one's allowed to cook. If you want to invite your neighbor for one of the meals, even though you're allowed to cook in Yom Tov, but you're not allowed to cook for a non-Jew in Yom Tov. So, inviting your neighbor always carries with it the risk that you realize you haven't got enough food and you're going to boil another pot of extra food in order that your non-Jewish neighbor can partake in your meal. So, Chazal said it's also to invite a non-Jew to a meal on Yom Tov. However, on Shabbos, where there's no risk of you cooking, because you, you can't cook for yourself on Shabbos either, if you haven't got enough food, it's just too bad. And there's no risk of you cooking extra for the non-Jew. So, therefore, Chazal allows you to invite a, a non-Jew on Shabbos. So you can have a non-Jew eaten by you on Shabbos without any worries. However, if you wanted to give a non-Jew some food, but you didn't want them to eat it in your house, and you didn't allow them to eat it in your house, so you would place the food down and you say, here, Mr. So-and-so, please, this is food for you, enjoy it, and he's going to take that food, pick it up and take it out of the house, that is Osa. Again, why is it Osa? Though the non-Jew is doing it totally for himself, there's no Amir here, you didn't tell him to take it out, he's taking the food because he wants to eat it, there's no Amir Akum, no Malachadam for you at all, it is Hafsa again because of Marathai. Because the passerby will see a non-Jew walking out of your house carrying something on Shabbos. It looks like you've asked him to take what you've given him out of Shabbos. So there is another area where Amir Akum is Mutter, but Marathai turns it into a dollar also. Only when he takes up If you, if he's going to eat it in, 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 if you allowed him to eat it in your shoes and he then took it out, that's again fine. It's if you didn't allow him, so he had to take it out, that Chazal after that because 
It looks like you've asked him to take it out of the house. That's a, 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 a difficult question, and if it's applicable, do ask. It's, it's not a subject I would like to go into now. If, however, what, you're, what you are giving the non-Jew is his own article, I mean, the, the article was left there, the non-Jew's article, he's come to pick up his own article, and again, since it's a non-Jew's article, Kazal said there is no issue of Maris Ayin, and therefore it's completely must allowed to pick it up. The issue of Maris Ayin stretches itself a little bit further. If you, you are not allowed to do a business deal with a non-Jew on Shabbos, so say you're selling, you sell something from your house, and the non-Jew comes in on Friday afternoon, a few minutes before Shabbos to buy, and you only clinch the deal just as Shabbos is about to come in, we have a problem here. Can that non-Jew now take the, the article that he's bought out of the house as Shabbos is coming in. Now here again, as I said, since he's coming out of your house just as Shabbos is in, it looks like that you've sold it in on Shabbos. So as I said, it's also to allow that non-Jew to take those articles out on Shabbos, even though he's just bought it, because it looks like you've done the malacha of selling it to him on Shabbos. Now, there's a difference between this case and the case before. If you live in a town with an Arab, and you, uh, you, gave some, you placed some food in front of a non-Jew, then the non-Jew can take the food out. That's fine. Because there's no Marisai in there. He's allowed to, you're allowed to carry, he's allowed to carry. However, in this case of where you've, where you've actually made a, a sale to a non-Jew just before Shabbos, and the Marisai is because it looks like you've sold it to him on Shabbos, which selling on Shabbos is also an issue of Abonon, that Marisai still applies even in a time where you have an area. So that will be offer in all cases to allow that non-Jew to take the, the property home. If the non-Jew insists on taking it home, the Mishnah Brewer has some colours but if it does come the nicer, there are ways around it. To lend the non-Jew an article, the next door neighbor comes and says, Steve, can I borrow your lawnmower? I want to, I want to uh, mow my lawn. My lawnmower is broken. Can I borrow your lawnmower on Shabbos? Now, he's doing nothing wrong. He's borrowing your lawnmower. He's taking it to his house, so it becomes his in inverted commas with respect to the Shabbos, and he's cutting his own grass. Should there be an issue here or not? Amir Lachim, there isn't. But again, Hazal after this because of Marasani. It looks like you have asked him to take and do a malacha with your article on Shabbos. So therefore, any article to lend to a non-Jew, which, which by lending it, it looks like the non-Jew is going to do a malacha with that article, uh, again comes under the banner of Marasani and will be considered also. Then he can do what he likes with it. He can do that. It's completely his. The issue of Marasani is only to allow him to take it out of your house. Taking out of your house on Shabbos constitutes a problem of Marasani. That's a good question. That's a good question. Now, probably you can, because it's, it's, uh, it's your article, and he's just dropping off. But we'll come to, to deliveries in a second. Okay, so we'll, come, we'll, we'll discuss that then. The, the area which is Nagaya really, Halakhalamaisa, with respect to, to um, this Marasain, is somebody who, who's receiving or sending articles on Shabbos. You have a delivery, you book, you ordered from a firm, I don't know, a washing machine, and Shabbos morning they turn up at the door and they want to deliver the washing machine. Are you allowed to accept that washing machine on Shabbos or not? Do you have to say to them, please go. Now, they're delivering the washing machine, they're not delivering it for you, they're delivering it because they've been paid, that's their job, then it's a contract, they're not doing it for you. You've not asked them to deliver on Shabbos, in fact you probably even told them, please don't deliver on Shabbos. Is there a problem with Marathine here or is there not? Now, going by what we've just learned, you can see that allowing a non-Jew to take from your house or to deliver to your house should be the same thing, should be under the banner of Marasai. In that respect, if that's true, if delivering is the same as taking, then returning the Ilumah would, would be the same problem, should also be also. So somebody who does have a delivery which arrives in the shop, or if you have something which you intend to send, send back, you have an article which needs to go back to the shop, and your, your digital phone broken, and the company's come to pick it up, if they kept it, did come to the shop, again, it would be also because of Marasai, for you to allow them to pick that up. But that's really an area which is it's quite complicated. Uh, not every case is black and white. But that's, the, that's where you see the difficulty of Marasai where it comes into play in real life. Deliveries or, or um, drop-offs or picking up from a Jewish house on Shabbos by a non-Jew, even though there's no malachah done for the Jew and you never ask them to do it, could constitute a problem on Marasai. Tell them to come back tomorrow. So again, it, 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 you're really entering it as we said before. If you told him before not to to do it on Shabbos, and he insists, 
then you're allowed to. If you didn't tell him before, and he and he says, you know, he's going to, uh, if he's going to take a gun and shoot you and say, I'm dropping you off or else, then you have to let him. There's no doubt about that. But if he says it's going to cost you more, you'll have to pay delivery next time. And you didn't tell him before I'm not delivering on Shabbos, then it could be that you'd have to pay delivery next time. So, it, it's the same, that the, the, the parameters are the same as we mentioned before. Because the postman's posting is, 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 the postman's not considered Maris Iron because everybody knows the postman is, you never ask the postman to do the marketing on Shabbos. Quite clear, the postman is being sent by somebody else, not by you, because that's what a postman is. So there's no Maris Iron when it comes to a postman. But the plain delivery from Bainbridge's, wherever it may be, that's a problem. You could have fixed your delivery date on Shabbos, and there is definitely a Maris Iron there. No, it's not a problem, no. A postman is not a problem. There's a problem of muksa, that could be, so you should put it down. But there's no problem of, of, of Amiril Akhmi delivery. We have the same thing with somebody who has a Shabbos dustbin day, right? The, uh, the dustbin are coming a Shabbos. Now, in this part of the world, you don't have a problem because you have to put your dustbin well into the street uh, and make sure you know, it's almost being knocked over by a car before they're prepared to take them. But, but in other areas, the dustmen are quite happy to enter into your grounds and cross the threshold and actually take the dustbin. Now again, even though they're doing that malachal for you and they are coming into your house and they take the dustbin out, there's no problem because everybody knows it's quite clear that no dustbin is going to do anything for you for free. He's not working for you. He's working for the council and therefore there is no maritime there at all. So again, anything which is clear that the delivery is not through your instigation, it's because they're employed by the council. The delivery, the pickup day is on, is on, on the Shabbos or whatever it may be. Postman is his job is to deliver the post every single day. Everybody knows that that's how it works. There's no problem with my assignment. Okay, that really more or less brings us to the end of Amir Lakum. Just to finish off with a, a few practical halakhas which we missed out over the, over the past few weeks, things which might be applicable to people and it's worth mentioning. But really, in, in the column, in the rules of Amir Lakum, we've been through all the halakhas of Sriyayim, the halakhas of a day worker, the halachas where you mustn't explicitly say, please do work for me on Shabbos, and the halachas of Maris Iron, which really intertwine with the halachas of a, a contractual work. Those are the three areas of Issa of Amir Lakum. But as you can see, it's so complicated, and every case you have to worry about so many different aspects of Amir Lakum that it really is worth asking and working it through each time. But at least you understand the parameters of Amir Lakum, hopefully, and we'll know at least hopefully when to ask because that really is the most important often people don't know the the design of Amir Lakum and just think that if a non-Jew does something it's completely mutter and really in, in, in truth a non-Jew only helps very slightly not a lot just a couple of areas where which might be um, applicable is if somebody's alarm goes off in Shabbos and he's driving you bonkers and you can't get your afternoon rest um, then again we, we do take on that switching off an alarm is only called a shvus. It's not a malacha so That's how we take on. And the halacha is that amir akum in a case of a shvus, if it's driving you mad, the mokum sa is mutter, so you'll be allowed to ask an Andrew to come in and switch your alarm off. Do change your number, mokum shabbos. But you'll be allowed to ask an Andrew to come in and switch your alarm off on shabbos because it's amir akum the mokum shvus, the mokum sa, which is completely mutter. So if it was driving you mad, you could have asked somebody to come in and switch it off. So if, if you if you went to another room and it's not driving you mad, then you can't ask anyone to do that. You can tell them direct, yes, yeah. Now uh, somebody forgot to open the bottles on Shabbos. For those people who are who are masquerade not to open bottles on Shabbos, since there are many ways of opening a bottle of on Shabbos beheta, with making a hole in the lid, etc. There are ways to open a bottle on Shabbos, and we've had a rule, we've learned the rule is, that if there's ways and means of doing it beheta, you can ask a non-Jew to do it, even if he does it beheta, that's okay. So if you forgot to open your packets, your bottles, whatever your cans, whatever it may be, and you really need them open for Shabbos, and you don't fancy taking a drill and drilling a hole in, in 25 cans, you'll be allowed to ask your next neighbor, please come in, do you mind opening these cans for me? Because you're asking him to do something which can be done beheta, that he's allowed to do it in the easiest way, even though that way is, uh, it constitutes an issue. With Hilkos Muxa, though, we will eventually get to Hilkos Muxa, but there is colors in Hilkos Muxa when it comes to Amir Lakum. A Kalish Malach del say a hammer, a hammer which is something which is not really Muxa in its own right, it's only Muxa because it's something which is used 
for Muqsa work. A Kali Shunach, but if the halacha is that you're allowed to move it if you need the place where the Kali is, or you're allowed to move it if you actually need the Kali. So if you needed a, a nutcracker and you didn't have one, you'll be allowed to take a, a hammer to open, to crack open your nuts. If there'll be any nut left afterwards, I don't know, but you would be allowed to lift up the hammer, even though it's Muqsa, to crack open the nuts. However, to take that hammer, because it's in the, in the sun, I'm being damaged by the sun, etc., or whatever it may be, a, a case where it's in a place where it's going to get damaged, and you want to move it because you want to protect that article itself, that's also, in that case, muksa is also to be moved. However, you could ask a non-Jew to move that article for you. A, a keli which is completely muksa, that would be a keli which is muksa machmas to some kids, something which is of uh, intrinsic value, something which you would put in a specific place because of its value. That's called keli muksa machmas kids. Or something which is muksa machmas gufay. I mean something which isn't a keli, a stone, a piece of earth, etc. Something which is intrinsically muksa because it's not a keli. Now, those articles, a Jew is not allowed to move at all. Not even a serif gufay, not even a serif mekremoy. In that case, you can ask a non-Jew to move it the serif gufay or the serif mekremoy. But you can't ask a non-Jew to move it that means you can ask a non-Jew to move it if you need the area underneath the article or the area underneath the stone or you can ask him if you need the stone to be to, to be used as a doorstop you can ask a non-Jew please can you take the stone and put it in front of the door for me you can ask a non-Jew however if the article this uh, expensive article is in the sun and it's getting damaged and you want a non-Jew to move it away from the sun to another area that's called you ask him to move it for the article's sake not for your own needs then that's also, and that can't be asked from an object. So there's an area in, in Muksha where there's, the Amir Akum is wavered slightly, and there's certain areas of Shamutta. There's the Shem, when we get to Hilfus Amir Akum, we will come back to that again. Uh, to, um, to, to Muksha, we will come back to that again. So that really brings us to the end of Amir Akum, and it brings us to the end of our preparation for Shabbos. We have arrived at the point now where we will, from here on, we are now going to discuss Shabbos itself, not the preparation for Shabbos. Up until this point, we've been talking about how to prepare for Shabbos. Amir Lachim goes on to the banner of preparing for Shabbos because you have to know what to, what one is allowed to ask non-Jew to do before Shabbos, and then again on Shabbos. That goes on to the banner of preparing for Shabbos. From here on, we are going to discuss Hilchus Shabbos, that is Hilchus Kiddush. We will start with Hilchus Shem, we'll move on to Hilchus Bishel, which is Shia, Hazara, and Bishel, and then further into Shabbos. Just to finish off with a Zerathayat, on the Sedra, something which uh, a little bit connects to what was spoken about, the preparation for Shabbos. Yashem Avinu came to the house of Lavon, and he asked, Lavon, please can I have the hand of your daughter Rachel in marriage, and I will prepare to work for seven years for you to give me your daughter. Seven years was not the request of Lavon. Lavon never mentioned the number seven. Yaakov offered seven years. Whether Lavon wanted more, he wanted less, is not clear in the Torah, the Torah doesn't tell us. Yaakov offered the seven years. And why Yaakov picked the number seven, what's significant about the number seven, that he wanted to work for Rachel for seven years, needs explaining. We always find, and we've mentioned this a few times, the number seven constitutes completion in the physical world. The number seven is a complete number. We find, for instance, that um, the, a, a human person, a, a man, is made up of seven parts. He's made up of his head, his body, his two arms, his two legs, and the wife together makes up seven. A complete, the Gemara says, Ain Adam Nikra Adam, a man is not considered a complete man unless he is married, Elin Ken because the wife is the seventh, that's just as the Shabbos is the seventh day of the week, and the Shabbos is the complete, complete, the completion of the week, man is not complete unless he has a wife. The wife is the number seven, seventh part of man. So, seven brings, brings with it a completion. We find that the Midas of Akadish Borhu, which are revealed in this world, the seven Midas of Akadish Borhu, which this world is controlled by, which runs this world, the seven middles of HaKadosh Baruch as we say in the Pasuk, L'Chashem HaGadula, L'HaGavura, L'HaTiferes, L'HaNetzach, L'HaHoyd, you HaKadosh Baruch have Gadula, Gavura, Tiferes, Netzach, Hoyd, Tichor Bashamayim, Mavoret, L'Chashem HaMamlopa. Those are the seven middles, we won't discuss all the seven, but there are seven middles, seven attributes of HaKadosh Baruch which are down in this world, which brings the completion of this world. We find again in, in time, we find seven years, Brings with it Shmita. This year Shmita. Shmita is a completion of a cycle of seven. Seven is a completion of years. In days we find seven days. Brings with it a completion of days. Seven days of a week is a complete week. That brings the shemus of the week. So seven always constitutes a completion in the physical world. Yaakov Avinu was about to get married. Was about to reach that level of completion in his own self. 
He's about to get married. He's about to meet his partner and complete his personal self and become a complete person, Adam Asholim. And not just he was about to become an Adam Asholim, he was about to be the father of the 12 Shlotim. To be the father of the 12 Shlotim, he, he had to be a complete person, perfect, perfect in everything, not, not an element of sin, complete perfection. In order that those Shlotim can be completely pure, completely Kodesh retired, to be the future of Kodeshol, he had to reach the level of total perfection. We know that Golis, and that's where Yaakov was, was when he went into the house of Lovim, God, the purpose of Golis is to cleanse the person and allow him to, be, to reach the ability to reach the level of Kedusha through the cleansing of Golis. Yaakov going down to the house of Lovim was that Golis which was going to prepare him to reach that completion that he could then marry and father those 12 Shvatim, the future of Kalishol. So Yaakov understood, in order to reach that completion, in order to reach the complete seven, to become the complete man, to be able to marry Rachel, who in his mind was the wife who was going to complete the shlemus of Yaakov, the completion of Yaakov was through Rachel, he knew that he had to go through seven years of dollars, which would fix the seven parts of man to that level of completion, so he could then marry Rachel and be a totally pure, totally Kaddish, and then father those twelve shot in the future of Kaddish soul. In fact, the story tells us that because he knew there was a purpose here. The purpose was a, a very spiritual purpose of marrying Rachel. The Pasuk says, Those days were like single days. Through his love for her. Which means that he understood the purpose of marrying her was to reach the level of completion. When a person knows that the ultimate, what you're working for, is something great, something unique, then even though the work is difficult, it's meaningless. The work has very little effect. It's Kiyomim Achodim because he knows the ultimate he's about to reach the level of perfection that, that was the purpose that's why Yaakov was the one that suggested the seven and not Lovon because it was Yaakov who wanted that perfection Lovon didn't understand what that perfection meant it was Yaakov who suggested the seven to be able to reach that level of Shlemus and marry Rachel in total Kedusha in total Tara and be able to follow those twelve Shlotim and the future Kedusha could be based on pure Kedusha and that's the same as when it comes to the Hachon of Shabbos we've seen now over so many weeks so many shurim how the preparation for Shabbos really involves so many different parts to it. The preparation of oneself, preparation of the food, preparation of, of, of one's mind, and we've seen so many different areas where one has to be making, one has to prepare oneself before the Shabbos can come, and one can truly benefit from that Shabbos. The reason is because one has to prepare oneself before one can, can, can reach that completion of, of the times of the week, that completion of time, to reach that level of Kedusha of Shabbos, one has to be ready for it, one has to be as Kaddish and sorry as Yaakov needed to be ready to go, to go marry Rachel, to reach that completion, we need to be ready as we enter every single Shabbos, so the Kedusha Shabbos can really have the effect on us, the greatest effect that it can have, and therefore, the Achon of Shabbos is so important, and that's why we have so many halachas with respect to the Achon. Now, of course, if we do the Achon correctly, with the right intentions, with the right motivation, and with the right aims, and understanding that the purpose is to achieve that which we need to achieve, the Kedusha Shabbos, it will be the year of Yom Nachodim, the work, the hard work which goes into preparing for Shabbos, there's no doubt about it, preparing Shabbos isn't a walkover, the hard work will be Yom Nachodim, it will be easy, because we understand the purpose that we are aiming to, to achieve is so great, that perfection, that the work seems meaningless. Let's hope we should have the Siyach that we should understand the, the Kedusha of Shabbos, and the work should be easy, and not just the work preparing for a single Shabbos, the work preparing for the future Shabbos, the Shabbos Agobu, the Shabbos is, which will be the Shabbos of Sikh and Asid, the time of Mashiach. That work should also go easy, we should understand that the purpose is so great that the whole Goddess that we're going through should be Yom Nachadim, we should achieve, and they reach the Yisak Gayo, and here we remain on me.